Welcome to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. This series is designed to introduce students to different career options that are in demand and share the path each practitioner has taken to arrive in their current position. It's not that the average student applies to two and a half schools before they are accepted. The average student applies for two and a half years before they're mm. accepted to multiple schools. Once I finished my pre-degree requirements, I was eligible to apply to 18 of the 29 different schools because of the different requirements they have. And I applied to all 18 when I applied. Hello, it's Felicia Gopal here for the Career 100 podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us and welcome you to today's podcast. Today, we're continuing our series on the top 100 careers and talking with a veterinarian. According to the American Pet Products Association 2011-2012 Pet Owner Survey, there are approximately 78.2 million dogs in the United States in 39% of U.S. households and approximately 86.4 million cats in the United States in 33% of the U.S. households. Of course, neither one of those statistics really kind of tells the full story because we all know that there are dog owners who also are cat owners, as well as we also know that there's lots and lots of other people out there in the United States who own a number of different types of pets other than cats and dogs. What I've noticed by observation is that pets are becoming more and more integral parts of people's households and their care is impacting the family budget, often to the tune of $248 a year for dog owners and $219 for routine veterinary visits for cat owners. Today's guest is Dr. Tanya Shaw. She always knew that she wanted to be a veterinarian and her dream began when she started working with the Everett Veterinary Hospital in August of 1997. Starting as a kennel attendant, she worked her way through just about every position at the hospital while she was working on her degree. In June 2006, she graduated with a doctorate of veterinary medicine from both Oregon and Washington State Universities and rejoined the team at Everett Veterinary Hospital. In addition to working with both cats and dogs, she also works with exotic pets such as birds and reptiles. She holds a state wildlife rehabilitation permit from the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, where she treats sick and injured wildlife from both Oregon and California. With the common goal of rehabilitating, treating, and releasing the animals back into the wild, she works closely with the Badger Run Wildlife Rehabilitation. I'd like you to join me in welcoming today's guest, Dr. Tanya Shaw. So tell me about how you became a veterinarian. My route to veterinarian was a little bit different than most. I'm sure it started out like anyone's as a kid. I wanted to be a vet. In fact, my mom tells me that I wanted a horse and she told me when I could afford it, I could have one. And about a week later, I told her I wanted to be a vet and never changed. Um, the unconventional route that I took is my mom homeschooled me except for about three years of traditional grade schooling, which means that I started college when I was 16 and graduated from veterinary school just right after I turned 26. And I 
do believe that homeschooling and just having a great drive to know what I wanted to do is a large part to why I was able to succeed and get into veterinary school at such an early stage when I was attempting to. Okay. So do most people graduate around 26 or is it much later for many people who become a vet? Most people in my class, it's much older. Normally it's around 30, 32. I did have two classmates that were younger than me and I went to both Oregon State and Washington State veterinary schools. My class was the last one to do that jog back and forth between OSU and Washington State University. Okay. So what sorts of problems does a a veterinarian solve? In the long run, we solve the fear that we're going to lose our best friend. Mm. Um, That is the biggest concern that people have. They don't know what's going on all the time with their pets, and they love their pets, obviously. And it's our job to try and get their pets to stay as healthy and as happy for as long as possible so that people can continue that relationship. Absolutely. You know, I'm a person who didn't grow up with a lot of animals. I had a cat for a couple of years, but I know from talking to some of my friends who have pets that they think of them like their children. Is that normal? I mean, as somebody who doesn't own a pet, that doesn't seem normal to me, but it seems to be normal in the world of people who have pets. It definitely is more the norm now than it used to be. The talk about it conferences that we go to, how in the old days, the dog used to live in the backyard. Maybe it had a dog house and it had a job to do. And normally that job was something along the lines of herding sheep or protecting a valuable piece of property or something like that. Well, our pets have moved from the backyard and the barnyard into our bedrooms. And that definitely has made a much more stronger emotional contact with people and they definitely are more frequently thought of as part of the family now than they used to be. Okay. So it is normal and a lot of people do do that. So the fact that I see little people, especially since I just moved here to Los Angeles and I see people walking around with their pets in their purses, um, maybe that's an LA thing, but you know, I'm definitely noticing that there seems to be a common denominator that people love their pets. Yes, most definitely. Absolutely. So are there any common myths or misconceptions about being a veterinarian? That one's actually kind of hard for me to follow through on this side of it, being a veterinarian. I can tell you more about the myths about becoming a veterinarian that I had to deal with. One of them, and this one actually is a little bit true, is that it's harder to get into veterinary school than it is into medical school. And the reason why that's true is because they're just as strict on who they accept into the programs, but there's fewer seats for the percentage of people who are trying to get into veterinary school. There's 29 veterinary schools in the United States and Canada for the multiple thousands of people that are trying to get in versus, I think, almost 200 medical degree schools. So that would make it much more competitive. So it would be important to be a good student. Is that one of the criterions in order to get into a veterinarian school? Being a good student is one of the criterias, and it's definitely an important one. A more important one for many veterinary schools is that you have a lot of experience working with animals and in the field that you want to go into. Because there's less than 2,000 veterinarians that are being graduated every year, they want to make sure that they're bringing people in that are going to continue the profession in one form or another. 
And it's hard actually on a veterinary school if they accept in a student and then halfway through they realize that it really isn't for them. So experience in the field you're going into and knowing for sure that it's the right step for you is more important than a GPA, although it is still an important portion of what you're looking for. So would you expect that somebody who is interested in becoming a vet is somebody who would have grown up with animals, might have volunteered, been mentored by somebody in the industry? Is that kind of the normal path? Most veterinary schools require a certain amount of work, whether volunteer or working in a veterinary hospital or in other fields as part of their requirements. doesn't mean that you have to grow up with animals, but you do need to get some experience with them before you go attempting to apply. Absolutely. And you said that you should also have some experience with the types of animals that you might work with in your veterinary practice. Yes, definitely. So so if you wanted to work with reptiles or, I don't know, how would people demonstrate that they are interested in working with a particular type of animal? So a broader experience is more important when initially getting in. So looking for just a real good small animal practice or maybe a mixed animal or large animal practice, veterinary medicine-wise to work with. Or if you want to do large animal work, working in the dairy industry is good. To get into exotic work, you really should concentrate on more of the general species. And then once you get into veterinary school, work more towards learning about the exotics. If you have 300 hours working with reptiles, that's great, but it's not going to get you as much leeway with the people who are on the admissions board than if you have a broader experience base. Okay. So I heard you say that one of the misconceptions that's a little bit true is the fact that it's harder to get into veterinary school than it is to get into medical school because there's fewer spots. And one of the ways that you would demonstrate that is by having experience as you're applying into veterinary school in some sort of general practice. So what I'm trying to understand about what it is that you do or part of the process of applying to veterinarian school is that you come into it with some sort of exposure and understanding of kind of what it takes to be a vet. Is that what you were alluding to? Correct. Veterinarian can be a very rough career. Uh, You never know what hours you're working in some cases. Some cases you do. And so having some understanding of the experience of what you're getting into will help. There are multiple ways that you can get that experience. You can go to work for a veterinarian as an assistant or a kennel. A lot of people will choose just to volunteer, and that allows them the opportunity to shadow the veterinarian themselves rather than working in the back room, and sometimes that help works out really well. If you're lucky enough to be in an area that does research of one form or another, that's actually huge. There's a lot of veterinarian schools that put a lot more into research experience than they do the other, and part of that's because we need more research veterinarians, and actually we need more large animal veterinarians these days too. Okay. So how did you come into it? I know that you said that you declared at a young age that you wanted to be a vet and you never wavered from there, but how did you get your experience before you applied to vet school? Um, I was really stubborn. I graduated with my GED at 16 and I started school when I was 16 as well, the winter of that year, and that got me into the academic field there and 
because of that, I was accepted into one of the veterinary hospitals by the time I was 17 as a kennel assistant. I then worked my way up through that veterinary hospital. That's Everett Veterinary Hospital in Klamath Falls. And I worked my way up from kennel assistant. And I basically worked every job in that building except for boarding supervisor and owner at this point. But that is not the usual path for most students. That has to do with who you are and how you were in the world. Right. Yeah, the fact that I was, I was very driven and very stubborn in my path. A certain amount of perseverance is definitely needed. The average veterinary student applies to veterinary school at least two and a half times before they get in. I got in on my first application into two different veterinary schools, but again, that's not normal. That's not average. And you have to be stubborn enough to say, this is what I really want to do and continue applying if that's the direction you want to go. And there's a lot of work in the veterinarian field that isn't required to be a veterinarian. Licensed technicians are becoming a very important part of what we do. We need more licensed technicians than we do veterinarians. And that's a four-year undergraduate style degree that people can get and then start directly into the field if they don't want to go through both the effort and the responsibilities that you get once you get out of being a veterinarian. So how do people in that role support veterinarians? They're very similar to nurses in the medical field. They run the anesthesia. They make sure that the animals get their medications. They act as a communication guideline from where what's happening with the animals now so that the veterinarians can keep up on what's going on with their patients and can still service multiple pets. The veterinarian had to stay there and watch all of the animals that are in the hospital or needing of medical care, then it would be very limited how many people and pets that we could help. So the technicians allow us to help more than what we would do and be able to do on our own. So is the role that you were just talking about, the technician, is that very similar to a physician's assistant? Or are Um, you even familiar with that? Similar. Yeah, they're not allowed to do prescriptions, to write out their own prescriptions, or to do some of the things that a physician's assistant can do, but it's very similar to that and that they act as the communication baseline between the pet and the doctor, and they also act as the nurse. They give all the medications. They, they help prepare the animal and help get it ready for whatever it is that needs to be done if they're a surgery technician. They are responsible for physical therapy and stuff like that if the animal needs it while it's in the hospital. So they're very much definitely the nurse equivalents in the veterinary world. Okay. So I think it's interesting that you said that the field actually needs more technicians and less vets. Um, Why do you think that that's true? It's not so much that we need less vets, but every vet needs more than just one technician in order to be able to properly take care of their patient base. And so that means that for every vet that's out there, there's at least two, if not up to four positions, depending on the hospital, for licensed veterinary technicians to be able to provide the needed care to the patients and to the clients that are around. Okay, perfect. So is there a career structure in your job as a veterinarian? I mean, is there a prescribed way that people become a veterinarian or could it be in many different ways? And you've met many different vets who have come into the field in very different ways. I've definitely met a lot of different vets that have come into the field in different ways. One of my fellow students 
when I was going through vet school was previously a model and had a social pre-vet degree that she just barely got in with the minimum science requirements. And then a lot of my fellow vet students were people who had gone to the Oregon State University animal sciences degree and had gotten very serious in their science and didn't have a lot of other social skills um, or social focus on their degrees prior to that. So it's definitely a very, very broad base that they accept their veterinary students from. It's not like you have to follow one specific path. You do need to pay attention to which veterinary schools you want to go into and what their requirements are. So you get at least those minimums taken care of. Okay. So not all of them are going to have exactly the same requirements. So if you were applying and you were interested in becoming a vet, it's important to do the research so that you know what you're looking to apply to. You said that for many students, what is normal or average is that they apply to 2.5 schools before they're accepted into one. There's a slight misunderstanding with what I said previously. It's not that the average student applies to two and a half schools before they are accepted. The average student applies applies for two and a half years before they're accepted mm. to multiple schools. Okay. Um, once I finished my pre-degree requirements, I was eligible to apply to 18 of the 29 different schools because of the different requirements they have. And I applied to all 18 when I applied. Wow. Wow. You know, in what I do, one of the things that I often will talk to students about is how many schools should you apply to? And we talk about safe schools and reach schools and all the rest of that. I can't imagine that my advice would ever be to apply to 18 different schools. That would be unusual for what it is that I do in helping students get into college. I didn't have my patients back then, and so they thought of waiting just because I wasn't willing to pay out-of-state fees wasn't really in my head at the time. I was lucky, though. I was able to go to the veterinary school that was in our state, which kept me close to home and family, which is very important to me, and uh, definitely kept the costs down a little bit, although I still had almost a $100,000 debt when I got out of veterinary school. Wow. That's huge. We talk about a lot now about, you know, the cost of college and whether college is worth it. You've seen, I've seen all the various different articles that talk about whether it's worth it for the amount of debt that you graduate with to have gone to college in general. I could hear in your voice that regardless of what it cost you, you were going to go and you were going to succeed in graduating from vet school. Have I pegged you pretty well? Most certainly. I was actually a runner-up for Oregon State University and had been accepted to Iowa, had already paid my extra fee to Iowa to go when they called me OSU and asked if I would still be interested. So I had to call Iowa back up and tell them, okay, never mind, I'm going here instead. You need to call one of your backup people and offer them the spot that I just vacated. Absolutely. You know, it's nice when you're able to stay close to your family. It's nice when you're accepted to the college so that you don't have to pay the extra fees. So congratulations on that move. So let me ask you a kind of another question, which is maybe a little out to the left, is if you had the opportunity to give a young Tanya advice, what advice would you give yourself today, knowing what you know now? This might sound funny, but don't wait. I took a year off between my undergraduate and my graduate degree because I wanted to see what it was like to be a year without school. And it turns out that I just really enjoy being in school and learning. So that year was, well, it's not wasted. It was probably better spent just going ahead and going into veterinary school at that time. 
and even outside of veterinary school, I'm constantly learning and taking classes and doing that sort of thing because the field is always changing and our understanding of the animal body and medicine is always changing. You know, one of the things that strikes me as interesting as kind of an outside observer is I didn't realize that dogs, cats had a lot of the same illnesses that we as humans have. You know, I've heard of friends who've had dogs who had cancer and they need surgery and all the rest of that. Is that kind of an evolution in taking care of animals? Because I remember when I was growing up, it seemed more like if your dog got really sick, you know, sooner or later you were going to bury them. But I don't remember that people were actively and engaged in offering them services that would basically prolong their lives. That is definitely something that's changed a lot in the last 20 years or so. And I've been working in the veterinary field for at least 15 years, and we do a lot more preventive care now than what we used to. It used to be when I first started working as a technician, we were a vaccine and a solve the immediate problem type of practice in general, where they would come in for their vaccines because we know that people don't want rabies, so we have to vaccinate our dogs and cats for rabies vaccines. So that's part of the protect the human movement route. And when the dog started vomiting, that's when we saw it rather than doing, now we will do pre-screens on blood to try and find kidney disease or liver disease or some of those scary cancers before they become a problem and we can take care of them and get them in a better spot so that it doesn't make them really sick. Absolutely. And it, that seems to also mirror what's happening in the healthcare field for humans in that a lot of the education, a lot of the information that I get from both my doctor and even my insurance company is about preventing illnesses from developing, you know, lose weight, go for walks, doing all those sorts of things. And I just remember, you know, I mean, it seems to me even, you know, a lot of people that I I see at the dog parts, they're walking their dogs so their dogs could lose some weight so that they don't develop, you know, I don't know if dogs have diabetes, but, you know, for humans that that's one of the things that is completely preventable that leads to a myriad of other problems for them. Do you find that those sorts of commonalities in terms of the care for dogs and prevention and humans? Most certainly. Animals are susceptible to diabetes and several other problems such as arthritis that people are when they get overweight. And animal obesity is something that affects sometimes 80% of our patients depending on if you're talking dogs or cats. So it is an incredibly important topic for us to be communicating with our clients about. And I know several veterinarian hospitals and several people who have started a lose weight together program where they are sponsoring dog walks with clients and their pets and tracking both what the clients are doing and what the pets are doing weight wise and diet wise to help make it just a better, healthier family all the way around. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot, you know, because oftentimes an interesting observation is sometimes the dogs and the people look the same. Mm -hmm. And so if you see a person who's overweight with the jowls and stuff like that, you often will see that in their dogs. You know, the dog's overweight. It's kind of got the jowls going on. So I think that that's an interesting phenomenon. And I'd love to see more of that in terms of that. So let me ask you, what gets you up in the morning to serve your clients? I have a great love in general for animals. I chose the veterinary hospital I do work at because we see a large variety of exotic animals and working with different species and knowing that 
I can communicate with the dogs, even though they can't talk to us or the cats, just joy and living and being able to do something to help them out. And then, well, as I'm kind of an introvert and people in general are not my happiness, individuals and the people who bring us their pets, there are some amazing people out there and it brings me a great satisfaction and joy just knowing that I can help them have a better day and live a better life with their pets. Absolutely. You know, there's something about a person who will devote their time and attention to something or someone that really just, if you have the opportunity to sit down and learn a bit about that particular relationship will give you a new understanding and a better understanding in my mind of who they are as people. And sometimes it could put aside other barriers that would have kept you. Cause I'm, I'm very much like you in my normal everyday world. I can talk to people as you can clearly see, but um, you know, I'm just as happy, you know, reading a book. Uh, you know, and, exactly. and, you know, I talk to people sometimes because I have to, but I, I could very easily just be an introvert and be just as happy. So let me ask you, what changes are going on in your industry that a person who's considering the profession needs to be aware of? So there is a greater knowledge of the general public as to what's going on with their pets, or sometimes a greater misknowledge as to what's going on with their pets because of the great joys of Dr. Google. So you have to be prepared to educate people and don't try and get them away from the internet because it's not going to work, but try and make sure that you know the proper resources to send them to because people are very curious and they want to know what's going on with their pet. And if they can't get it from you, they're going to get their answers somewhere else. So you have to be aware of where that's going and how to make people understand what's important for their pets and how to communicate with them. A lot of times it comes down to communicating with the clients what they need to know and making sure that they understand rather than how good your surgery line is or something like that. That makes a difference for the pet's life. Yes, yes, it is. The Internet is an interesting and weird place because you can get all sorts of information that is good. And there's also information that may take people in a different direction. I remember for a while, there were all those commercials that said to talk to your doctor. If you have this, this, this symptom, talk to your doctor about this particular medication. They didn't even tell you what the medication really did, but you were supposed to talk to your doctor about it. And I imagine there was a number of doctors who were being asked a number of questions like, should I take, you know, XYZ prescription? And it's just like, well, that's for heart disease and you have no symptoms of heart disease. Well, they don't really tell you that. So I think that in my mind, that's one of the challenges with the internet is sometimes people can become misinformed or they may take their hypochondria about themselves into the internet and probably down to their pets. Most definitely. There are definitely people who see their their pet twitched in ear funny and they're sure that there's a cancer going on in the middle of the ear canal so there are definitely clients that have that sort of fear that there's something going to happen to their pet and there's plenty of things out there to feed those fears absolutely there's lots and lots to feed that so why do you think that being a veterinarian is on the list of the top 100 careers people in general can uh 
relate to animals and I think they just simply love working with them. Uh, it gives them a place to go. They're comforting to them. People who have been raised with pets understand the joy and the mutual love that is shared there and they want to help other people with it. I think it draws in people who want to help and are very passionate about the need to help other people and nature and wildlife and pets in general. Okay. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? For those students who are interested in going into the veterinary career, I would strongly recommend that they look into the different ways that the veterinary career can lead them and do some research and try and get so they have some personal experience with where they think they want to go beforehand. Because as we mentioned, it isn't a very expensive thing to get into, but it's also very worthwhile. And as long as it's the right path for you, the next step is just persevere. Keep on. Don't quit just because you didn't get in the first or the second time. Because for all of those people who get in on the first time, there's a bunch who apply and try four or five times before they get in. And so part of it is that not quitting and making sure that you have what you need to take and uh, just push forward with where your dreams are going to lead you. You know, I think that that's really just good advice for anybody, not just somebody who is pursuing a veterinarian degree, because, you know, there's so much to life that is not going to be available if you're the type of person who will quit the first time, the second time. You know, I mean, in terms of even running a business, you know, it's sometimes if I could just tell you some of the madness that kind of goes on in my world, you know, I, I think that other business owners can often get and appreciate what I have to share because oftentimes it looks like things happen overnight, but you don't know about all the late nights that a business owner or in your case, a veterinarian will have gone through to get to the point where you see the success that has manifested. Right. Very much so. So let me ask you, would you be willing to share uh, ways that somebody could contact you if they had any additional questions or they wanted to check out your uh, website, please? Sure. Um, They can reach me at thehappypetvet.com. And there's a contact form there. I also work at Everett Veterinary Hospital and Boarding House in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And they can look up the information for there and get a hold of me via the business if they need All right. So there's basically two ways to get a hold of her. Anybody who is interested will know that I will put links to uh, that information in my show notes. Tanya, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to share what it took for you to become a veterinarian. I can tell that you are a hugely determined person and somebody who is committed to pets and their needs as well as to helping the uh, parents and families out that you work with. And I thank you very much for spending some time with me today. Of course. It's been fun, Felicia. All right. Thank you very much. To learn more about the college planning process, I invite you to visit our website, College Funding Resource. I also invite our listeners to keep coming back to listen to more of our Career 100 podcasts. If you are unsure what it is that you might want to do, the Career 100 podcast series is really designed to introduce you to different careers through the eyes of the current practitioners, like Dr. Shaw. 
I also like to thank my listeners for joining us today, and I hope that you will join me again for the next installment of the Career 100 podcast. If you feel like you've benefited from our podcast, then I ask you to go into our iTunes channel and please rate this podcast. I really appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing your comments. Thanks again. See you next time. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Career 100 podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast, where we'll continue to interview experts in the top 100 careers for 2011, giving you the insider's view of their chosen profession. If you'd like more information about planning and saving for college and to instantly download your free copy of College Funding Resources Report, Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Kathy Davis for the Career 100 Podcast.